0: Hello,
1: good evening, and welcome to The Game is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are James, Gareth, and Milo. Hello, chaps. Oh yeah, hi Steph? Steph. It's been another topsy-turvy, totty week as we went to Old Trafford for what we hoped would be another Saturday night special, only to encounter the absolute phenomenon that is Cristiano Ronaldo, who ensured that the match ended Cristiano Ronaldo 3, Tottenham Hotspur 2. We'll look back at some of the key discussion points. And later in the show, we will evaluate the top four as they stand right this second. Uh, Look, our top four chances did not end at Old Trafford. But there's no doubt that we are entering the business end of the season. So buckle in and hear us out as we break down the race just for you. But first of all, as usual, we start with our intro question. Or, as I like to remind everyone, Milo's intro question as he gets to dig deeper into our psyches to help fuel his studies as he looks to become a full-time psychoanalyst and therapist milo would like to know chaps if money and time were no object what would you be doing right now i mean not right this specific moment because you'd be doing this pod whether you're a billionaire or not so that's but in general i think you know you'd take it as an abstract what would you be doing with your time gareth you have your mic on mute so i am drawn to you immediately time and money no object
0: where are you I am going to be fighting a legal case against the Mayor of London's office for giving me a punitive fine of £160 pounds for having the, for driving to Ikea, which is in their new ultra-low emission zone, which they tell, you, tell me they've communicated very well across London. But I live just outside of London, so I didn't get that memo. And they were reliant on me seeing this little blue sign that was one mile away in Pickett's Lock, and then not another <laughs> single sign to say that I'd entered it as well. So um, my wife's telling me we're just going to pay it, and I'm saying, no, we're not. I'm going to take them to court, which, of course, I'm not because I don't have the time or the money. Or the, uh, or the or the legal faculties to do so but that's what i would do if i had the time and the money
1: never let it be said gareth that you lack the scope to dream big <laughs> never let that be said <laughs>
2: <laughs> unbelievable uh, milo um i would be putting together a bid to buy chelsea football club and run them into the ground I mean, technically,
1: it's a wonderful thing. But once again, you have shown uh, what I consider to be a, a curious uh, use of this uh, time and money being no object. I mean, we're all, we're all. I don't know, James. Come on, come on. What, what, bring us, bring us away from these, mate.
3: There's a segue, which is the uh, the Russian link. I would, if time and money were no option, I'd like to have an ugly arcs, private yacht and be touring the the west indies watching the england <laughs> cricket tour um bouncing from island to island drinking rum um watching cricket and swimming in the sea there we go there we go yeah, we're then, a little sorry, closer if i can just
0: segue back into mine make sure you don't go into the ultra low emission zone that mayor Khan may have surreptitiously <laughs> erected without you knowing so
1: <laughs> yes, erected emission zones, uh, shall we say, erroneously erected emission zones will dominate Gareth when he wins the pools or the lottery or whatever. And he will make sure that he does not question those uh, from a yacht uh, bouncing around watching cricket and drinking. You know, you could actually join James and do that. You could, you know, you could have all these protests but still be in a sunspot. I mean, please tell me you'd at least do that.
0: Oh, well, yeah, I'm, if I'm going to dream big, I will do, Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh dear! Yeah, of you, I mean, you, you could just dump your car just inside the zone. You've got unlimited money and time. You can you can drop your car off just inside the zone with a hundred and whatever yeah, you, pounds you. your fine is on the on the passenger seat, and then fuck off somewhere hot. Yeah, no, I, I you could, could
0: run uh, yeah, for mail. Yeah, I mean, I've, that would involve me. Yeah, well, I could. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to park my car literally under the little circular to do that. Which, it doesn't matter. Well, you, I, if I had the time and money, I'd probably <laughs> go in a little circular,
1: to be honest. But. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Where did you go on your honeymoon? I have to ask you.
0: Where did I on the honeymoon? Um, yes. Winter, winter,
1: Rome. winter Oh, excellent. Okay. Well, that's good. There we go. All right. There, there is there is, there is, hope. Very good. Time and money, no object. Uh <sighs> For me, I think it would be a year of 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 just of just travel. I think I just I just would want to go places. I've always wanted to go on the Orient Express. I think right now I would probably, which is probably not the best time to be on the Orient Express. Actually, when you think of the route the routes it takes, but um, you know, let's say time, money, and history being the object right now, I would love to be on the Orient Express right now, going through um, yeah, Siberia. There's was always a, a thing I wanted to do. And uh, otherwise, you could find me in the far north of Scotland, building my ultimate craftsman's uh, abode, complete with one glass wall looking out onto fields of sheep, as I have the KLFs chill out, uh, wafting uh, through the uh, the fields and, and hills around me. Um, and I would have um, a sauna, a plunge pool, all the luxuries there. It would be absolutely fantastic. So there we are. Uh, Dreaming as we have, let's look back at the week that was thump back into reality. I would say Ryan Cesessenion picked up a hamstring injury in last Monday's game against Everton. It forced him off at half time and uh, did it force him off at half time? It did. You're right, because he got hurt and then he played on a little bit more, which was bizarre. Why do you play on when you've tweaked the bloody thing? Get off the pitch. Anyway, I'm not a medic. I'm also not Ryan Sessegnon. He must have known what he was doing, but perhaps he didn't, because the scan this week revealed that it's now going to keep him out for at least three weeks. This is a recurrence of a previous hamstring problem, obviously. He can't seem to catch a break. I mean, very briefly, I am going to ask you, I mean, do you think that this could be just growing pains or, uh, uh, you know, is there something to do with his, with his running mechanics or his posture? Milo, why don't you uh, share a couple of thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think Conte in his um, press conference earlier in the week was saying that Ses C- is a kind of muscular lad and, and, and was putting it down to that, down to his size. And, yeah, maybe kind of as a result of that, how, how he carries himself. Um, I... Couldn't pretend to know. I'd see a lot of um, uh, people kind of making catastrophic predictions off the back of him, picking up a knock again. But you see that quite a lot. Catastrophic of players, so predictions in a, it
1: that... from football fans? What? Are you saying catastrophic predictions from football fans?
2: What a shock. You know me, Steph. In between, in between podcasts, I like to spend my time on Twitter. So I kind of, I'm a little exposed to this kind of thing. And... <laughs> You see this quite a lot with young young players, and, and hopefully it's something that he grows out of, and it's yeah, it's not a long-term issue there. Um, but it, I think the the real shame is that he'd been pretty decent recently, and you know, interrupts his rhythm. He's a decent player. I'd, I'd like to see him get more games.
0: Yeah, what confuses me is that he seems to have been littered with these muscular injuries literally from the day that he joined us, because he went up to the under, England under-21s in that summer of 2019 picks up a muscular injury and then he was his season was on and off but it seems like the only season he's had where he's not had any injuries was last year when he was out on loan in hoffenheim and he played i'm just looking at his stats now it looked like from october through until may he pretty much played every week he made 31 appearances so it just seems odd that he's he's able to play a full season in germany but when he's playing in england so whether that there could be any number of reasons for that but it's it's just struck me as odd.
2: I seem to recall he had an injury around the turn of the year last season. I haven't prepped this, so this is kind of a, you know, for the deep recesses of my memory. But I'm pretty sure he did have it. He did. He did have a few weeks out then.
0: Yeah, he missed. Um, he, went, he went from the second of January until the 21st of February without a game. But I don't know whether that, whether that mm-hmm. any, that's the German mid-season <laughs> break or not. Though
1: I think that's the Ryan Sesson, your mid-season break. But he definitely had a knock. <laughs>
2: Yeah. The good
3: thing is that it is only a, a slight hamstring injury. Mm-hmm. So three weeks in the great scheme of hamstring injuries is bugger all. So yeah. hopefully he misses two, two, three games
2: max and he plays a part for this season still. Yeah, that's right. You've got the international break in there as well, haven't you? So yeah, one of the weeks he misses isn't one of our weeks, so it doesn't really matter.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is the moment at which I feel like uh, sharing and expounding upon all my theories as to why Ryan Sessegnon uh, has these chronic uh, injury issues. But it's also when I realise that actually, compared to the physios and medical staff at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, we work with him uh, every day, week in, week out, and are doing everything they can to ensure his health and ensure his fitness, I should probably shut up because I actually don't know. So I'm going to leave it there. Ryan? Let's hope it's not a case of uh, the chronic, as in Dr. Dre. And let's hope that you uh, are playing soon. And uh, let's hope the medical staff are looking after you as best they can. I'm sure they are. Antonio wants you back. So do we. Um, You know, the magic of this uh, week that was is that there was nothing else. We had days to prepare for the game at Old Trafford against Manchester United. I think many people had possibly overhyped this game as the do or die of our top four chances. Um. I personally felt that going in. I still feel that it was overhyped coming out. Before we get going with the questions, I do just want to reiterate what I said at the beginning. I personally think this is a one-man performance. He's unstoppable. Um, He's a great player. We will get into that. And I'm talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. But let's kick off the discussion about our 3-2 defeat at Old Trafford on Saturday night with you, Milo. Let's talk a little bit about the team selection and let's talk a little bit about... uh, you know how it seemed to 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 shake out
2: team selection wise I don't think there are any surprises there that's you know with Cess out that's our best 11 so yeah no surprises there in terms of how we played I thought we played pretty well I thought the shape was good Uh, on the whole I thought there was clear evidence of kind of Conte's uh, coaching and the team kind of adapting to his methods and the automations looked effective um, I was a little surprised that United just decided to sit back for so much of the game. And I think Ranier could obviously watch the Watford game and thought that works quite well. We'll have a bit of that. But on the, on the flip side of that, I thought actually we progressed the ball pretty quickly. You know, we, we found ourselves in dangerous positions, but we weren't quite, um, deadly enough in front of goal, really. I think, you know, we, we, we did everything good. Yeah. We, there's lots of good things about the game, but, I don't think any of our players had a standout performance. I thought everyone was pretty middling, but it was a decent team performance. James, what would you say uh, about um,
1: you know how the team approached the game and how the game played out? What's your take on it?
3: Yeah, I, mean, I think it was pretty clear that we were the the better of the two teams, and that yeah, one one player's individual brilliance combined with some slight defensive um, lapsing, maybe. You know, unfortunately, led them to score three and us only to score two. I think we, we didn't create enough clear cut chances given the, the bulk of the possession that we had. And, and I think we played some really good football. Like we were, we were passing it around nicely. We were getting down both flanks. We looked pretty comfortable by and large. In defence, you know, like it was strange how they were sitting back. It was, it wasn't as if they were the home team. It was like we were the home team in that game, which doesn't often really happen at Old Trafford. And yeah, no, no complaints about the effort, the the quality of the play up until that final, final third, where I think you know the 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 sun chance springs to mind as one that maybe he could have done better with. Um, I think it was Kulusevski pulled it back, and he just put it the wrong side of the post. Kane, by his lofty standards, I suppose, didn't have one of his his better games. I hope that with Tom Brady in the uh, in the crowd, he would have played up to that a bit. But it's unfortunately Ronaldo, the one that did, and um, unlucky, I'd say, really, that we came up against an incredible hat trick performance by Ronaldo.
1: Yeah, and Gareth, you uh, t- to complete the uh, the triumvirate of views, um, give us yours.
0: Yeah, I think the performance was just a bit vanilla for me. It was. Um... <laughs> It, it wasn't on the levels that we've seen, the performances against Manchester City and, and Liverpool, neither was it anywhere near as, as, as dreadful as we've seen recently against probably Southampton and Middlesbrough, were the, probably the Nadirs of recent form. Um, I, yeah, first half, I, I thought we were the better team. I felt we were in control. I thought I we had their number. I, I felt that... Um, Kane and Kulosevsky found themselves in really good pockets of space and were, were able to open it, open them up and it was, I mean, it, was just, it was a really bad second goal to concede particularly had to lose the momentum having just got deservedly level second half what disappointed me was we only had we only had one shot in the second half um, which was Sonny's one which went wide of course we, we, the goal we scored was an own goal so it doesn't count as a as a shot but there weren't really any dangerous attacks I don't remember De Gea being called into any action and I think the frustration for me was and it must have been quite late on in the game because I think it's when Winks was on for Bentancourt and I wondered whether I'd, I'd flick the channel over and I was watching the rugby on the other side because I could just see a line of, of maybe six or seven white shirts inside our own half um, and I'd didn't think there was enough in front of the ball so when the ball was trying to get into our front three it might even have been a front four by then they were just swamped by by red Manchester United shirts it was um so it was it was it was a flip of a coin match and it will it will come down to the the greatness of Ronaldo winning it for them in the end um we've been on the other end of those flip of the coin games and probably if we look Look back, we played very well at Manchester City, but on another day, that that might have gone the other Mm -hmm. way as well. And I suspect we lost three two at City, but we'd won three two at United a few weeks later. We'd be in a much more positive place about that. But yeah, on on the whole, it was a it was a vanilla performance. I don't think anyone particularly stood out for playing really well. Equally, I don't think anyone stood out as being a particular weakness or flaw in the side either.
2: Yeah, I I think that's fair. I think. Yeah, ultimately, it was individual mistakes that cost us. You know, there is a mistake in every goal, um, or at least one mistake in every goal. And um, in those kind of games, we just need to be a bit sharper. And you know, you, I think you are absolutely right, Gareth, in terms of um, our playing the final third. But I think that probably is also true in yeah in, in in yeah the third closest to our goal. In that you know we made mistakes there as well. So yeah, it's it's, it's a disappointing one. I think we were a better team, but yeah, not good enough.
1: I'm going to shuffle the order somewhat of discussion here, Chats, because we're, we're, it's, it's inevitable. I mean, he's a presence. He was a presence all day yesterday. He was a presence um, in and around every space that we seemed to leave. He seemed to sniff it out. He won the game for Manchester United and the whole matchup, especially as someone mentioned with Tom Brady in the stands did really become about Ronaldo versus Kane. I mean, Sky were licking their lips at the, at the thought of it, you know, which one of, of, of Tom Brady's sort of gladiators would come through. Um, I, I, look, I have to say that, yes, there is a mistake in every goal. And I was very critical of at least two of the goals that we gave up yesterday, if not all three. But we also do have to remember this man is a hate-seeking missile for, for any weakness, for any space. And he was finding continually space between our, you know, in, in the channels. He was finding those those pockets in behind Ben Davis. He was constantly a menace in there. And his late runs, I mean, he, he, I, you think you know what he's going to do. That's what's so astounding. You know what he's going to do and he does it. And it just seems we can sit here and criticise, you know, I can criticise Hojbjerg for being loose in possession for the first ball and maybe Dyer should have closed him down a bit more. But he doesn't just do this to us. He does it to everyone. Everyone seems to give up these goals. It was a a phenomenal performance. On the flip side of the coin, I think we should look at Harry Kane, who is a wonderfully talented footballer, but who does not ever really fully impress himself on these games he's impressed himself on many big games but when you get to that final inch when you get to those horrible questions that we had about pot sides and why we couldn't push over the final yard I want to put to you is the difference between someone like Ronaldo and Kane that Ronaldo has a little bit of the cocksure well he's got a lot of the cocksure arrogant wanker about him and I say that uh, not as a uh, pejorative, really. It, it's, it's I think, what you need to be the best. Maradona had it. He has it. Do you think that Kane lacks... Well, it, Kane obviously lacks it. Do you think it would have made the difference in a game like yesterday if, if Harry had a bit more of that? Would it make the difference for Tottenham Hotspur if Harry had a bit of that? Would it have made the difference for us if Harry had a bit more of that? Let's open that discussion up.
3: I'd say yes. Obviously, if you could choose for Kane to have that ego or cocksure whatever you want to call it, yeah, you choose it ahead of not having it. But I mean, there's a lot of good players out there that don't have it. I mean, Messi seems to cope pretty well. Um, it's no Kane angel. is how he is. I mean, you can't... He, but, you know, you, you, we can't... You know, there's a lot of time Kane does do the right thing. I mean, I think in the, the point you make about does he step up enough in big games is an interesting one because, you know, over his career at the moment, you'd probably say, no, he hasn't done it enough. But... He's clearly good enough to step up in big games. There's no one he hasn't scored against, like Man City away. He scored two good goals. It's you know, it's within his within his uh, talent to certainly do that, but yeah, he hasn't done it enough.
2: I think it's pretty clear that you know he's very single-minded, isn't he? But he's not a bastard. And yes, that's that's Ronaldo my point. is a bastard in spades. And <laughs> I mean, you know, as you know, I make notes during the game, and I think where are we? <laughs> I- I think this might be after the third goal. It might be the second one or the third goal. But I wrote, I hate Ronaldo. He's such a petulant cunt. And <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of that's the kind of deep analysis that I do during the game. It, normally, it goes through a filter before we co- come on here. But um, I do hate all of that. You know, I think the dire handball quite early in the game, which wasn't given. He was still moaning about that fifteen minutes later, mm. and. Uh, you know, i, I mean, he's one of the greatest people ever to set foot on the f- football pitch. He's one of the most talented players of all time. But yes, I despise everything about how he is and how he plays the game. You know, I, I, again, I've got another note moaning about his goal celebration. Uh, and more the people who copy it. But, you know, just he's so self-centered and, uh, you know, as I said, petulant and, you know, all of that stuff. But that's part of what makes him such a great player that, you know, that kind of, he, that, you know, he genuinely believes that, all this stuff and, and, yeah. and it works.
1: But this is my point. That third goal. Let's look at that third goal from me. I mean, the first goal is, is pure him. He does that. The second goal he's, you know, he's found that third goal is all about two things. He wants it more than anyone else on the pitch and he wants it for himself. He doesn't care about, that Manchester United as a club I don't believe as much as he cares about his story and he knows he gets to that ball he scores that third goal his hat trick his game his glory and you can't deny it he deserved that right
2: yeah, I mean he's probably the greatest head of the ball of all time isn't he I was going to say, I think there's two mistakes in that. I mean, obviously, he gives Romero a shove, doesn't he? And Romero mm-hmm. um, kind of half tracks the man. Uh, is it Forain who makes the run forwards? Uh, half tracks the man who goes forwards. And then Doherty doesn't jump and allows Ronaldo to climb over him. And so, you know, there's two, there's two clear mistakes there. But Ronaldo's one of the best in the air. If not the best in the air of all time,
1: he made that header look like a tap in, and I don't believe it was. That's what. Yeah, he did. He did. It
2: wasn't easy. It wasn't a gimme, was it? No. it wasn't a gimme. Oh, he made it. If Doherty jumps an inch, it doesn't go in. Well, I don't think Ronaldo allowed him. But
1: yeah, you're right. But Gareth, I mean, you know, again, let me let me reiterate, and maybe sort of reangle it as well. You know, do we? Ever see and and look, I love Harry Kane, and I don't want this to be seen as a criticism of Harry Kane. As you said, uh, James, he is who he is, and he's a wonderful player and a wonderful human being. I'm just looking at this, you know, from a very, very analytical perspective. Do we ever see Harry? be a bastard? Like, do we ever see Harry force that moment in the box from a set piece? Do we ever see Harry continually, he's starting to talk more to refs, but do we see him like walk it Mm -hmm. like he means it? I mean, do we see that? Are we seeing that? Should we see more of it?
0: I, I think we do. I think everything that you've just, the way that we've just described Ronaldo's winning goal, you could, insert the name Kane for Ronaldo and insert against Tottenham and against Manchester City. You think Kane's winning goal against Manchester it was that determination. It was the leap, it was the I'm getting on the end of this ball, we'd nudge he shoved Kyle Walker out of the way to plant the header into the corner and ultimately score the winner. Uh, I think if you ask fans of other clubs, um I think particularly Liverpool fans will tell you that Harry Kane is a bastard on the pitch. You think about that challenge you put in on Robertson earlier in the season I mean I because I'm always at the home games. I see some. I see the amount of talking that he does with the referee, which I would say is the privilege of being the England captain, because it's exactly the same as I'd seen Alan Shearer and Steven Gerrard and David Beckham and John Terry do for for twenty years before that. So I think he has got that a bit about him. But ultimately, I, th- I think his character. He's an introverted character. Um, he is I, instinctively. I think he's a team player. I, I think. We've seen something else in him in the last 18 months, which may or may not have been something to do with who his manager was at the time. But I won't get you drawn into that one now, Steph. Um, so I, I I think if you ask fans of other clubs, yeah, he's, he's not on Ronaldo's level in terms of his demeanour uh, and his me, me, me. But I, th- I think there is. He's, he's got his own goal celebration now. It's not as self-indulgent as, as Ronaldo's one, but he has got the he, he, he jumps and he kisses his wedding ring finger when he does it. Um, Brand Kane is, uh, is starting to develop, but I would say he's probably just not a, a sellable enough character and individual in this, and personality in the same way that Ronaldo is. So you won't ever see that like for like.
2: There's only one of the two of them you can imagine having a mirrored bedroom ceiling, isn't there?
0: (laughs) (laughs) In fairness, the one who has a mirrored
1: bedroom ceiling, again, as much as I hate to admit this, is probably worth it. I mean, let me say publicly on this pod, I can't think of a 36-year-old male who looks better than him. My God, I don't know if that's genetics or hard work or what it is, but he is in incredible shape.
3: Let's be honest, though. Like, over the course of the last... 10 games Kane's been the better footballer like yeah mm-hmm. Ronaldo had a phenomenal game there against us but over the last say 10, 10 fixtures yeah. 12 fixtures however many Kane's been better Kane's all round play is better yeah. Um he's probably still what either level with Ronaldo or just one ahead of him in terms of overall goals in the season um, and could still finish ahead of him Ronaldo hasn't been playing as well as he did against us for the last few months he just happened to have just- a fucking hell of a game against Tottenham when Dr. Yeah. Tottenham came to visit
0: it's a very good point. There was a good article in the Athletic I found earlier about Ronaldo, and really, it, it said that this was his best performance and his most involved performance since his um, since his debut against Newcastle earlier in the season. So the amount of touches he had of the ball was was his most of the season yesterday. Um, there's examples where you can see him going back and supporting the right back to link up play to get United out of um, out of a press. So it, um, I, I think that you know, Awesome's right. He's not been as consistent as Kane. I mean, look, he hasn't played what, the last two or three games because there's probably been some sort of disagreement or misunderstanding between him and the manager. And um, Kane has been the been the better player in the calendar year of 2022. But Ronaldo has that in his locker, that he can pull out one of those 10 out of 10 performances. And mm-hmm. sort of Sod's Law suggested it had to come against us in, in those circumstances yesterday.
2: I think that's entirely right. I mean, I, I wouldn't swap Kane for Ronaldo, or not not Kane this season for Ronaldo. But... Ronaldo's peak performance, I think, is probably above Kane's. I think Kane is better most weeks, but Ronaldo, fully on form, can win a game on his own, and Kane doesn't do that probably enough, not enough. in the key games. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think you know, exceptionally strong points made by all, and I have to say, I agree with them all, and absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think I would want to swap Kane for Ronaldo for a variety of reasons, but I just do. I do. In closing, this particular or bringing this particular conversation to a close, the one thing I I do always wonder is, you know, at those moments, when it's 2-2 at Old Trafford with 10 minutes to go, and, you know, who wants it more? And I'm sure Harry wants it, but is he prepared? Can he do what someone like Ronaldo can do in that game, in that moment? And I accept, Gareth, he did it at Man City, but there was less pressure. We weren't expected to do anything at Man City. Let's face it, we went up to Old Trafford yesterday and there was was proper pressure. So it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. And obviously, Harry's got a lot longer left in his career than Cristiano Ronaldo has. But once again, I I do think it's well worth paying tribute to to Ronaldo's just marvellous performance yesterday. I mean, it really was. And, uh, you know, it would be churlish not to at the same time. I agree with you, Milo. He's not exactly the most... uh... ingratiating of human beings um but from Ronaldo let's go and discuss another player that begins with R whose career uh, has a long time to go uh let's talk about Reggie let's talk about his performance let's talk about Reguillon's performance um you know he's come in uh, obviously for as we've discussed for Ryan Sessignon. um let's talk about his performance yesterday did we feel he uh, he rose to the challenge did we feel he did enough um, where do we feel his career is going with us
3: He didn't have a bad game. I mean, obviously there was no choice but for him to be thrown into the starting 11. Um, I don't think it's a a step up or a step down from Cessignon. And, you know, Reggie's got talent going forward, um, a little bit less so in defending. And I think that second goal was clearly... Poor line holding by him. And um, I mean, it was one of those annoying VAR decisions where they were like quickly showing it for one second and then moved away. I mean, the, the release point of the past for Matic is the key there because Reggie was stepping up, just probably not quick enough. Um, but no, I think he's, I think him and Cessinion is a, a good level of cover for that position. I think he's, he's a good young player. That's about it at the moment. Not, he's not great, but he's certainly not bad.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it was a pretty average performance, but I think pretty much all of our players had a pretty average performance. Yeah, his positioning for the second goal was poor. He wasn't paying attention. And, uh, you know, I thought he had a better first half than the second half, you know, particularly going forwards. Um, The one thing I am beginning to think, so he's, what is he, 25 now? So, you know, maybe not so much of a young player. You know, he's got a baby face and maybe we kind of think of him as a young player because of that. There's talk of Madrid... Coming back in to activate their clause in the summer, and I think the buyout clause is forty million. And I wonder whether actually that would be the right thing. He's a good player. There's not much between him and Sessa, as as as, um, as awesome was saying. And I think you know forty million, we could probably buy another left back and have a little bit of money to spend elsewhere. And we need to spend quite a lot in this this summer so yeah I like him he's a good player but maybe he's a he's a saleable asset and it might not be a bad time to flog him
0: I think just to try and link up a couple of those points there I think if Real Madrid were watching the game yesterday, they're not gonna think that's the best use of forty million for no. him. I don't think that was a no. I don't think that was a Real Madrid level performance. Um for me I, I, I don't think it's an accident that he's invariably involved in some of our best attacks. I think the timing of his runs are very good. Um it was of course it was his cross that forced Maguire to turn the ball into his own goal. We seem to have scored a lot of goals from those sorts of positions. Reggie scored himself against Everton on on Monday night. I think for me he's a th- he's a three in five player. So I think for every five games he's going to have probably three good ones. He's going to have one fairly average one, and he's going to have one fairly poor one. Um, so I, I think he is upgradeable. However, my instinct is I- I'm not sh- again I don't know what Real Madrid's position situation is at left back at the moment. I don't know whether they need a, a set number of um, homegrown players that he might help to fulfil that quota for. But yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if they're going to come wafting 40 million pounder us this summer based on anything i've seen so far uh, i think they would probably suspect that they can get a better deal there may be some better options for them elsewhere in spain or within their own ranks yeah
2: i think that's probably true that's why i was willing to accept 40 million pounds because I, it feels very toppy very toppy for him yeah i th- i think we we probably need to bear in mind that that was his first start after having covid and you know give him a little bit of slack maybe for being you know not match sharp and you know maybe the kind of the effects of, of being ill you know can hang around for a while so you know that might be a mitigating factor
1: it might possibly be I mean I, I sit here as we're talking about his performance and, and evaluating it and I'm thinking of that final final ball that went into the box deep deep into into added time and of course he's what 2 or 3 inches from making contact uh with what was a pretty great ball in behind and he's and he's done the hard work to get there and you just think well if he makes contact there uh, you know at the very least it's going to be a shot on target mm-hmm. the very most he's going to be able to push that ball across and it's a tap in uh, for I believe Harry Kane is lurking there. So <clears throat> we could be talking yeah. in very different in a in very in a very different light about him, um, you know, uh, if had that moment gone our way. But, you know, as you say, Milo, perhaps a little unfit, but
3: one thing I'd just say about Reggie is when he when he first started playing for us, it was like, Holy shit, we've got a good left back here. Um and he hasn't progressed that much, has he, over the yeah. you know, last couple of seasons, which does lead me to thinking maybe yeah if, if Real Madrid were to want him back then it wouldn't be a big deal but I think one thing we're clearly seeing with Sessignon is we do need another good left back Mm -hmm. because he can't be relied upon for 10 games let alone a whole season
1: I think it's a great point and I think obviously he came in and, and Mourinho uh, and he obviously had a very, very good relationship. Um, they they saw eye to eye and they enjoyed working with each other and it's interesting in general with the squad. I think there's a lot of players who are having to learn the incessance of an Antonio Conte automation and I think he falls into that category and his success I think with us purely purely revolves around whether he is prepared to dig in for the long term with Conte's methods and be the player that, that Conte wants him to be and whether he can be. I think it's just, it is as, as binary as that, right?
0: Yeah, I don't, I'm going to caveat this point by saying I know he's scored a goal and he's got an assist in the last 5 days but for me he doesn't look natural In the final third, he doesn't look like a player who expects to go and score five or six goals a season, which I think in a Conte system is what you want from that position, particularly as we know we're not going to get that from our right hand side at the moment. Sessegnon, for me, looks like a player who feels like he's going to score and that he's got to score goals, whereas I don't see that from from Reggie. So I think this is a part of his game that really needs to, to develop. So one
2: is a winger converted into a wing back, the other's a full back converted into a wing back. So that's probably yeah you know, the difference there, isn't it?
3: I wonder if he's suffering a bit from Sun's um I don't want to say poor form, but Sun's not on the form of his life at the moment. And for for Reggie to have a big impact in the you know, the final third, he kinda needs Sun to step up a bit and interchange passes a bit better, put some away.
1: You, I mean, somewhat piggybacking off the uh, Reggie there, and bring you—you've brought up a very good point about Sonny yesterday. And I do—I mean, he, he was not at his best, and he does seem to be somewhat struggling uh, a little bit with both decision making and final product. And there were twi- twice yesterday, early in the game. And I go back to Harry Kane for a moment here. Twice, our star players and the two best forwards in the Premiership, probably—you know—if you were to, to to you know level it out, you would probably agree with that. They both passed. On very very good chances early on to have a pop at goal, Harry had a window which you'd expect him to take. It was a it was a glorious window in the first five minutes, and Sonny had the same not so long afterwards. Um, and just before I I, I go to you, Milo, I just want to throw this out there as well. How many times can a player slip before the kit man shows up with a longer with a longer studded boot? I, I'm not really too sure how that works, but sorry, Milo, I know you were trying to get in off the back of that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I just don't think that um the kind of- Three, four, two, one, formation suits son, I think he spends too much time in areas of the pitch where he's not particularly effective. He's not great at you know picking up the ball from deep and and, and progressing it, so, you know um, starting off with his you know his back to goal. His best play for us predominantly has been when he's come out from wide, cutting into the edge of the box, and it doesn't see him enough in those in those positions i mean it's one of the reasons why earlier in the season. Um, I was so much in favour of 3 5 because it would get him you know, into better positions, but with Kulu coming in, uh, it's very hard to make an argument for that unless we start playing Kulu as a, as a number 10 with two in, two in front of him, but that doesn't really fit our defensive shape. Um, so yeah, I just don't think the formation suits him particularly. Gets the best out of him.
1: got to say, though, it's interesting you say that because several times yesterday he did get the ball with his back to goal. He did turn inside and he did surge and he was getting through. He was cutting. He was cutting a path. He was cutting a pathway. and, And, you know, we've seen Sonny go past three, four, five players at a time and take shots before. He just doesn't seem to be doing that right now.
2: I'm not saying he can't do it, Steph. I'm just saying that if you want the best out of him, that's not the area of the pitch you want him to spend most of the game in.
1: Right, but I'm. But I, I no, no. It wasn't. It wasn't necessarily a comment based on yours. It was, it, was, it was, which I agree with you, and I agree with what you're saying. I'm just saying I find it interesting whether there's something going on in his head because he's just not shooting as much as he used to. He's a player who was very willing to shoot on sight. You know, I, I wonder what's going on there.
2: If we think of the best play we've seen from him over the last you know month or so and there's been games where we've been absolutely um you know praising tra- praising him to the hilt it's when Kane's dropping deep and playing the through balls and he's he's on the shoulder of the last defender and and, and running through um you know United playing you know, dropping so deep yesterday mean, means that there weren't the opportunities to do that, and you know that's probably the main reason why Raniak decided to set them up like that
1: yeah i mean I, I again and i'll I'll belabor it one more time i just in general I think it'd be interesting i mean i 'll be looking for this on Wednesday at Brighton and i 'll be looking for it on Sunday against West Ham. It just seems to me he's a little shot shy and he's just not quite as willing to take a take a pop. And for a player who has the shooting range he has, I, I, I find it, you know, it, it's quite surprising. But, but before we move on, does anyone, uh, actually, Gareth, I'm going to ask you this because this is a technical question about, like, you know, how this kind of stuff works. And I know you've seen it in your time. What, what on earth? is going on when a player slips over three or four times. Uh, and, and, you know, why isn't someone showing up and saying, well, I mean, isn't this the sort of stuff that players look at when they go and walk the pitch before the game? And the, isn't that what the background staff do, what the coaches are doing? They're looking at the turf. They're saying you might want to consider a longer a longer stud today. Why on earth when he slipped over once, that's fine, twice, three, four times? and And two of those moments, I think, cost yeah. us on major breakaways. What do you think happened there? How does that work?
0: Gary Neville said it in commentary, which, which we had in the UK. He said it's, it's only happening to Sonny. It's not happening to other players. Sometimes you watch a game and lots of players mm. slip over and you think, you know, a lot of people have, become, um, have, have been done by a late rainfall or, or, or something else that's affected the pitch surface. Um, yet, I mean, no idea. I, mean, I can assure you that no one will feel worse than about that than the kit man the kit man will be the one who will ultimately um, feel responsible for that because I, I know how not just our our Kitman Steve Dukes, but I, I know all Kitmen um, feel particularly responsible for um, you know for players' footwear and and and, and for kit. So perhaps it was just a bit of a freak occasion, but um, yeah, I mean it doesn't look good when it's 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 one player and it's the same player who keeps falling over. you you're Interesting decision making yeah. The, de- the the decision to wear a pair of slippers rather than a pair of football boots ultimately is done for. Well,
1: him. the the devil is in the details, and maybe these are all parts of the things that Conti's referring to. Uh, you know, uh, when when he talks about. Us still learning and still growing um penultimate question the last time we played Manchester United it led to Nuno sacking how much of an impact has Conte had since that game the three 0 defeat at the lane which of course Ronaldo also decided to show up for and yesterday's game
0: yeah for me it's it's, it's chalk and cheese we were we, we were sleepwalking into absolute mediocrity at the end of October at the end of the at the end of the nuno reign um uh, of course, there's lots of teething, or there have been lots of teething issues. But you're starting to see a far better coached team now that have a plan. It doesn't always work, but it's it's a team that definitely has a plan, uh, and it's trying to. Um, there's a there's a plan in place. We were we were going nowhere very very quickly under Nuno and Nuno, and that was highlighted. Um, and that came at the back end of October. It was, a, it was Halloween night, wasn't it? It was a real fright night for, for all at Spurs. Um, we we have turned the corner. I think it's um, we're trying to undo a lot of the work that happened in the summer and last season as well, and I think we've got the right man to do that.
3: Yeah, I think the two new signings have, have fitted in very well and very quickly, and our performances on a weekly basis have followed an upward trend over the particularly the last sort of month and a half. I know there was those two bad results at home against, um, was it Wolves and Southampton? But, you know, as we're seeing on the pitch, we're, we're just playing better every week. Um, we're better coached. And I think the Conte effect is is largely responsible for that.
2: Yeah, you know, we're moving the ball better. We're creating more chances. We, you know, there's a, there's a shape and identity about the side. There's still work to do, but I think we're you know markedly improved to how we were at the, you know, the beginning of the season.
1: So, our closing thoughts on this game at Old Trafford. Uh, one positive, one negative, chaps. Um, fingers on the buzzer. Three, two, one. Milo.
2: <laughs> I will say my positive is we came back from behind twice. Um, so I think that showed a little bit of spirit. Yeah, you know, it wasn't a it wasn't a game where we rolled over. I thought you know we were the better side, but you know we were, be- we were beaten by the better player. And my negative is kind of the flip side of that. We were the better side, better side, but came away with nothing, and that's happened a few times this season. And we, you know, when when we have these kind of performances, we need to capitalise them. You know, if we want to, do, if we want to achieve anything, we need to take something from games when we're the better side. James,
3: I'm kind of torn between our general uplifting performance quality and choosing an individual. I think I'm going to go individual because we've spoken a bit just then about how our performances are getting better under Conte. But I thought I thought Kulisevsky had. A decent game, and he, you know, I've, I picked Bentancor previous week when we asked about the positive. But Kulisevsky does fit in well in this team and um, and this league. So I think of all of our players, like you say, didn't. No one had a great game. They were probably all sort of sixes and sevens. I'd say he was certainly a seven. And my negative, uh, I think our defending from set pieces is a problem, and it needs work and the training ground quite quickly.
0: For for me, the positive is, and this, this links on a little bit to the, what's the difference between the Nuno team and the Conte team. I love the fact that Ben Davis and Romero are getting involved high up the pitch. So Davis. Had was involved in a good move and was rightly flagged for offside and then went on to score. Um, Romero for his involvement in the second goal, it was a, it was a give and go. He kept running, he kept getting himself into the box. So I think that's really good, and we have started to see that more often that those those wide central defenders are getting involved in attacks. But for me, the negative is again is is Romero, who is undoubtedly one of the best defenders that we have bought. Uh, in, in many, many years and I'm sure will go on to be one of our best central defenders for a long time. But he's got a lot of flaws in his game um, and this constant need to want to shithouse all the time um, is really going to get him in a lot of trouble. So you saw, I, I only saw it when I saw the replay, when Maguire put through his own net, he looks at Maguire and he says something to him um, and of course the eggs then on Romero's face because it was his fault that Ronaldo freed himself of him and and scored the third goal it's the and we keep seeing this from Romero it's just something I've it's a, it's a nagging concern that I've got the Middlesbrough Cup game he ran 50 yards to get involved in a free kicker decision that had nothing to do with him and he got a caution for it he is a walking yellow card and I just think that he he acts too impetuously On several occasions uh, and I think that his head isn't always in the right place and I think as a central defender he will get found out for that one and you know ultimately he was meant to be remarking Ronaldo from that last corner Manchester United scored from one corner in 150 the Sky Graphic told us just before they scored that one Um, and that's an issue for me. So my positive
1: is um, much the same as I think you've all been sort of saying Um, I'm really happy to see that there is a pattern of play that we seem to trust, and it's developing and developing very well with these two new additions. Um, it's it's getting better every week. Uh, our ability to retain possession and 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 move the ball it it, it, it is getting better every week, and I think. You know, we'd have seen a, the true result of that again yesterday had our star players been on it, and they weren't. Let's be honest, our star players weren't on it. That's not my negative. My negative is actually that so much was put on this game as being, you know, Champions League top four or not and there's so much of this pendulum swinging week in week out from uh, particularly from our supporters uh it's becoming very frustrating and uh in way of uh what I think is actually a very convenient segue we're now going to discuss in some detail um the race for this fourth place that everyone is getting uh their their knickers in a twist about um you know we need to remember that we're not like there, there aren't three games left you know There's what, a dozen, 12, 13 games left? I mean, there are many matches left. And, you know, if this was, you know, a roadmap, let's face it, we're we're halfway there. We're at the business end of the journey, but there's still a lot more twists and turns to go. The GPS is going to take us in some interesting places. You know Saturday's result. You know undoubtedly had an impact on that. And you know Milo was saying earlier, and I I agree with him that the you know probably the the only takeaway from the result at Old Trafford is that it actually keeps Man United in the hunt. It certainly doesn't knock us out of it. And we're going to get into this um, uh, team by team. So let's start with Arsenal. Uh, they've had a mixed season, but they've picked up form over the last few months. There's no doubting that. It's probably down in part to having played the fewest games are the fourth place contenders and thus having more time to rest and prepare for games. Uh, Gareth, I'm going to be going to you for each of these uh, teams with a kickoff here on their stats. What do their stats tell us about their season and their prospects?
0: Can I, can I just start with a general stat here? Because I'm quite proud of this one because I managed to unearth this one myself. But since 2011, every team that has finished in the top four has at some point in their se- that season gone on a streak where they've won four consecutive league games. So I just want to leave that there as a as a, as a reference point um, and to let you know that Arsenal have gone on a four-game winning streak on two occasions this season. So for me, their stats are, are, are pretty good. I think they've got the big mo behind them they have got um, some difficult games coming up. They've probably got the harder run of fixtures to come. They have still got to play Liverpool. They've got to play Chelsea. They've got to go to um, to to West Ham. They've got to travel to to us, which historically has been a game that they they've not got many points in over the last few years. And they also play Man United at home as well. For me, I, Arsenal are favourites to win it to to, to to win that fourth spot. I think that they have got the they they've got the best. Schedule Not necessarily the run of fixed, but they've got the best schedule. And they have had since Christmas, since they got knocked out of the FA Cup, that they can concentrate on just league game after league game after league game because they've not had any European commitments this year, which I think are massive. They have a number of key games. I mean, all I'd, I'd say about them is despite the good run that they've been on recently, they haven't really picked up any results that you wouldn't have expected them to get, perhaps beating Wolves twice just a week after we'd got beaten by them and after the Wolves had gone to Old Trafford and won maybe it was a bit of a red herring um, so on the whole they've, they've taken care of the games they needed to take care of, they've, they've been that you know, traditional Arsenal flat track bully statistically they've got points on, on their side and I, I think all the projections suggest that they have got the best chance of finishing fourth of all of them Chaps
1: the horrible question that i have to ask what have we thought of arsenal this season and in 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 hopefully a display of honesty and leadership here i'm going to go first and say you know honestly they have been impressive i think they've they've built very nicely they've built very well um you know again milo and i were discussing this before the pod i'm not going to steal his line but we share an opinion on where they're at i'm sure milo will share that with us in a minute but generally speaking i think they've looked very very good and if we're completely honest they are it, it is their in my opinion it's their slot to lose over to you chaps it's a horrible horrible thing to have to to address but as adults we must address it honestly yeah, I think
2: that's fair. I think, you know, you think they had a really bad start to the season when we were top and they were bottom. Um and they, you know, they come back from that. Well, they're playing some good football. Um they've had the softest run of any of the contenders we're talking about here, which I think we do need to take as a consideration. Um and it'll be interesting to see how they cope over the next few weeks because they've got a tougher run of fixtures and that could be really telling. Yeah, the the comments that you were referring to there Steph was that I think that there's an air of kind of the early potch spurs about them in terms of kind of the young players coming through and what appears to be you know quite a happy camp and everyone pulling in the same direction. their signings in the summer look pretty good on the whole, and you know there's a couple there that have kind of proved me wrong in terms of you know my assessment of them before they signed them, so I think from that point of view yeah pretty impressive i I just got one stat um I've got got loads of stats but one one stat that I was looking at I I had a quick look at um, the league positions of the teams that everyone's got to play and then kind of the average position of the teams they've got to play just a kind of a measure of how difficult the run-in is Um, so here a, a smaller number is worse and Arsenal have got their average position of their opponent in the run in is ten point five in the league. Um, as is as is thirteen. Man United is twelve. So I think of the three main contenders for that, you know, that, that run in, they've got the they've got the easy. Sorry, they've got the hardest run in.
0: So I mean, just to slightly perhaps articulate better what I was saying earlier. I think Arsenal have had a real perfect storm in that they haven't had any European games this week, this season. They've not had any midweeks. They've had a fairly fortuitous run of fixtures since about the middle of December, where they've not had to play any of the top teams. They didn't play Liverpool because Liverpool were in the League Cup final. Um, okay. Of course, they didn't I'm play cut, us because... I'm, I'm, um, I'm sorry. I'm,
1: I'm sorry. I'm going to cut you off. I'm sorry, you're hiding behind stats at this point. binaries ten seconds. What have you thought of them this season? You can't hide behind stats.
0: Do you think they've been good or not? as impure as you will feel, be honest. Yes or no. Have they been good they They have been they've they've won the games they've needed to win. They've looked good doing it. Ultimately, you can lose the games against the three best teams and still get accumulate enough points. I think that's what they're going to okay. do this year.
2: I, I think you're being a bit oh. shy on Mike here, Gareth. Because there's been times when you've watched them and in the chat you've been absolutely glowing about their performances. You've you've said that they're very impressive after quite a few games. I remember this year.
0: I was earlier in the season. I mean, I'm I'm slightly hardwired. One of my first football memories was Anfield in '89. So I can never watch Arsenal. <laughs> Doing badly and assume they're going to do anything other than end up smelling of roses in the end. So that's that's slightly my own um, that's my own issue that I've got to try and deal with.
1: As my friends would say, you're hardwired to self-destruct. <laughs> That's for all the heavy metal fans out there. Anyway, uh, sorry, um, one, more, one more word, James. You're not getting away with it either. Come on. Okay, I'll, I'll
3: tell you a quick story. On Saturday night, I went for a uh, friend's birthday drinks and unfortunately around that table, there was at least three Arsenal fans who took great joy in telling me how, you know, how well they're doing in the league and how fourth place is basically theirs in the bag. And as we all know, as Tottenham fans, Assumption is the mother of all fuck-ups. And I hope that they're basically just jinxing themselves because they haven't beaten us yet at home. I'd rather be playing them at home than at bloody Death Star. And um, there's plenty of football still to be played this season. Almost a third of the season still to go. So they can uh, shut the fuck
2: up for now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they, They do enjoy existing in a state of hubris, don't they? But that's often been their downfall in recent years go on milo
2: bring us home i was gonna say i think there's a risk with them that inexperience could cost them it is a young side and a lot of those players haven't been here before i think the other thing we need to bear in mind is that games games in hand are against us and chelsea both away games so um you know whilst they've got you know more games to play than everyone else yeah if we win that and if they lose to chelsea then it's all square and it's all to play for in coming
1: to a close here uh you know we do strive to be adults and i personally try very hard to be an adult especially being on the other side of middle age but when i come to evaluate arsenal's top 4 chances i'll speak for us all and say fuck them they're going to crash and burn i can't stand them the thought of them being fourth makes me want to be sick and uh let's let's just let's just be clear football can't be that cruel it can't happen especially because they've got that amazon doc so get your hankies ready gooners it's going to end in tears <laughs> That might have been a little bit um, biased. I'm not sure. Manchester United. Our season seems to have been intertwined with theirs uh, from both being linked with Antonio Conte, uh, our game back in October being the final straw for Nuno, as we've discussed. Um, You know, it all could have easily gone the other way. They could have had Conte. uh, Lord knows who we'd have had. But anyway. We are probably the two most wildly inconsistent teams in the top four race. Over to you, Gareth. What do Manchester United stats tell us about them this season?
0: Stats that jump out at me is how well they've done in those head-to-head games. So if you look at United, Arsenal, West Ham, Wolves and Spurs, United have played seven games and they've won six of them. The only one they didn't win was at home to Wolves. So actually, when, when it comes to those all-important six-pointers, they've done really, really well at those ones. They just about squeezed past Arsenal at Old Trafford in December. In, fairly, in one of those um, flip of a coin games, as ours was yesterday, equally they beat West Ham with, a, I think, a stoppage time winner at Old Trafford earlier in the season as well. Um, so what I get the sense with Man United is the last couple of years, they've they've definitely performed the league position hasn't has been in congress with how it's looked like they've been playing and i suspect they just might have that know-how to get it over the line again this year if i look at the games they've got to play they've got to play 3 of the bottom six they've then got to play sort of three teams who are landlocked in the in the middle of the table which is Palace Leicester and and Brighton they go to Arsenal they've got Chelsea at home and they've got to go to Liverpool which is a game that's that's due to be confirmed United for me are the team that have got the most outstanding players and that that very much ties into everything we just spoke about the game yesterday statistically I I think those six pointers that they've had might be really crucial although interestingly on all the all all the projection um data that that Milo and I have been looking over, they are the team that seem to have the lowest percentage chance of um, of getting into the top four, which surprises me a little bit. I, I, I think we 'll struggle to get above them just because they've got taken six points of us this year
2: yeah no 538 have them down there's an 11 percent chance of finishing the top four which is below us on 15 percent, and arsenal are on 70 percent. but obviously you know arsenals will change should they lose to liverpool on wednesday that will change
1: would you tell us just briefly before you go on Milo? could you just tell everyone what the 538
2: is so yeah 538 is what predominantly a, a politics forecasting uh website and, and blog and uh, podcast uh, but they also okay. do kind of sports projections and they have uh they you know they, they provide um forecasts on on every game in the premier league in terms of the likely outcome um and they have a model okay, based thanks. on kind of previous performance value of the squad predominantly you know form this season they make a projection on and uh they also have a projection for how the season will you know the the final table of the season um so that's kind of uh you know adding together what they think the most likely outcome is of every game so yeah they think that based on that arsenal have a 70 percent chance of finishing fourth
1: yeah sorry i cut you off because i wanted to make sure we get that definition in because there would be lots of people listening who don't know so you were saying anyway before that
2: yeah, now so I was going to say on expected points. So expected points is, um, what you would expect the, um, you know, the number of points you'd get from a game, uh, based on the, you know, kind of the chances that you and the opponent have got. Uh, Man United are fourth, uh, for the season on expected points. If you feel to the table by that, uh, we were, we're fifth, West Ham are sixth, Arsenal, are, uh, Arsenal are seventh. And that probably gives an indication of what you might expect. Uh, teams to return to. So, if they've been overperforming slightly or you know, getting better results than their performances deserve, then you might expect teams to move back, back towards that as the season progresses.
0: Can I can I just caveat that by saying that? I'm looking at 538's projections, and you can have a look historically at where they were. So at this point last season, they had Leicester as a 70% chance of qualifying for the Champions League, and of course they didn't, and Liverpool only at 27% chance, who, who did fairly comfortably in the end. Um, I mean, this is the sort of projection that perhaps lends itself more to the sort of thing that Milo and I would look at, whereas I know, Steph, you, you're more likely to be counting the boxes of lemons in a manager's changing room um, than, than we might. Um, <laughs>
2: You're you're not you're not far off. I am citrus inclined. I, I would I would expect there's our there's episode title. Um, I would expect um, the Arsenal odds to drop over the next week or two um, as as they play some of those more difficult games. It's a dynamic forecast and there's the strengths and weaknesses for that, but it's the best model I've seen for projecting it, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's it's right because what they're effectively saying at the moment is that you know if this run in happens ten times, Arsenal would finish fourth seven times uh we'd finish fourth one and a half times and man united would finish fourth one time so, so it's not it's not saying this is what will happen it's saying these are the chances of this happening right this is all fascinating and i know that you
1: chaps love your stats and i love hearing them and they are very very important and a really vital way part of looking at at these situations and, and football in general but you know let, let, let's let just instinctually uh, for a moment look at Manchester United and, uh, and and James, coming off the back of what I'm going to say here with maybe a little instinctual uh, thought of where you think this is going to end up for them, I will throw the gauntlet down by saying I think that their chances rely solely on uh, on two two prospects. I think they need Ronaldo to remain fit, and I think they could do with Harry Maguire being injured. I think if those two things happen, they stand, you know, as good a chance as anyone. But I, I just don't think they're going to have a consistent run with either of those two situations, and I, I, I don't think they're going to make it.
3: I'm inclined to agree. I mean, Ronaldo's not going to do what he did to us on a weekly basis. Who probably will score, you know, three or four more goals this season, but that's not going to necessarily be as decisive as it was in the game at the weekend um I think you look at them as a club and as a starting 11 and that they're far from where they want to be and even with their coach they're you know if you've got a central midfield of McTominay and Fred that's not that's not peak Man United you know even Rashford was shocking against us Sancho's been hot and cold you know the defense, for Ann hasn't looked as good as you know as probably they hoped he would be. Maguire's a liability. Um, De Gea is having a great season. I think you you look at where they are as a club. It's um,
1: I'd rather be in Ash in shoes than theirs. Okay, so we'll we'll pu- I'll put us down just generally for those listening as people who feel they won't make top four. Uh, Gareth Milo, very quickly, yes or no? Uh, yes.
2: You think they'll finish ah, interesting? Top four. You think they'll finish I, four? I think
1: I think Man United will. Yeah. Wow, yeah. okay, that, uh, that's that's one for the books. Yeah.
2: I think 538 got it right. I'd have them as third favourites for it.
1: Let's move on to West Ham. And again, <clears throat> deep breath, deep breath. Putting my adult hat on again. Oh, this is tough. Davey Boyes has worked wonders in his second spell at West Ham. Undeniable, he has. Uh, they finished sixth last year, which is a major achievement, uh, and you know, maintained a push for a top four place while still remaining in Europe, which is a difficult thing to do. Um, you know, I think right now their form has dropped off. Um, a little and they are starting to pick up injuries to key players. Uh, And, you know, I think it's fair to say a tough schedule. He's finally catching up with them, you know, regardless of the win they had today, which I, you know, a very emotional win with Yarmolenko scoring. And, uh, and by the way, and congratulations to him for that. I'm, uh, uh, you know, I think we'd all agree. We're pleased that he managed to uh, Mm -hmm. have a little bit of joy in his life right now. So good for him. But, you know, Gareth, you know where I'm going. You know what I'm going to ask. What do West Ham United stats tell us? at this point of the season?
0: Um, West Ham stats tell us. Again, looking at that mini-league of how they've got on against the, the teams around them, they're, they're OK at home. So they've beaten Wolves, they, they, they beat us, they lost up to Man United, uh, but they're not very good away from home. So they've lost at United, they've lost at Arsenal, they've lost at Wolves, and they've still got to travel to us next week. Um, the, so West Ham's big issue will be the fact that they're still trying to juggle Europa League. Games at the same time, albeit in fairness to them, you would have said if there was ever a run of games that were going to hurt them, it would have been playing away at a team like Seville on the Thursday night before then travelling back and and playing a good Aston Villa team who were on form. And by all accounts, they they disposed of Villa quite convincingly this afternoon. West Ham still have to play Manchester City and Chelsea. Of course, they've got that what would be six-pointers against Arsenal and, and Spurs. Uh, and then they play a lot of the teams down at the bottom as well. I think that they are a Declan Rice injury away from, from really struggling and really falling off. But of course, there's no reason to suggest that Declan Rice is going to get injured. But I do think he is their key and their most significant player. Performances have dropped a little bit in the second half of the season, generally for them I think that usually you find that experience of of being in these positions and getting over the line is usually quite significant hence why I think United probably will I think that's what will work against West Ham
3: I think if we beat them uh, next weekend we end their top four hopes with that one six pointer in terms of being an adult my my contribution to that would be that they've done extremely well to back up a good season last season and Moyes has clearly turned them from a a joke of a club into a, you know, a serious top six, um, you know, force. And Bowen looks an amazing signing, um, but he's just made them generally a bit more solid. But I am fairly confident that we can come out on top of them next weekend. And I think that ends their top four push.
2: Yeah, I think by thirty-eight, have them down to have a 3% chance of finishing in the top four. Yeah, I think that could be zero for very, very soon. They've got the second toughest run in. Um, They've got the European distraction. I don't really think they're in the chase.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've noticed that every time I have written them off, they've pulled out a result. But I just think the sheer physicality of the season is going to render them, uh, you know, competing for Europa League. Uh, I just, I, 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 again, I don't think it's a reflection of their talent. I do think they're doing very well. Um, I just think this is, this is going to be physical.
2: It's, it's, it's a very simple equation. I don't think they're going to make it. And qualifying for Europa League two seasons on the trot would be a huge achievement for West Ham. You know, I think Moyes has done a fantastic job there. Done a really, really good job.
1: Good Lord. I'm going to be employing the shower
2: heavily after the
1: recording of this pod because, so help me God, I agree with you. <laughs> oh, it feels dirty, doesn't it? So let's cleanse ourselves somewhat by discussing wolves who have moved ahead of us in the table this weekend and uh, thus find themselves in our discussion, if not realistically the big discussion, I don't think. Um, it seems like a tall order for them. But, Gareth, what do the stats tell
0: us? Let's tell us about Wolves is that they don't score enough goals throughout the season. Um, They are very capable on their day. They've, They've got a very set system, formulaic system that the manager's done very well actually to introduce in such a short period of time. So, ultimately they they're probably run out of games they've only got 9 games left um which means the maximum number of points they could get is 73 um which I don't think they're going to get because they've still got to play city liverpool and chelsea all before the end of the season um interesting they they've they've played all of the other teams in this little mini group um they've got 9 points from the from the eight games that they have played um which sadly included three points at our place not so long ago um but yeah i, I think the stats tell you they don't score many goals um which ultimately means they probably won't win enough games i think they are genuinely a contender for that last uh, europa spot whether that's in the conference league um whether that's in seventh place or not but they're not going to have enough to to challenge for the top four
2: gentlemen yeah i think that's absolutely right I think that's absolutely right again 538 have them down to having a less than one percent chance of finishing the top four I think that's right. You know, when I first did the notes for this episode, I didn't didn't even include them in the (laughs) in the list. And then obviously, the this weekend's results meant that we had to really because it'd be a bit embarrassing discussing our top four chances when and ignoring a team that was above us in the league. I don't think they've got any chance.
3: I'd agree with that. I mean, they've they've clearly a bit like West Ham consolidated themselves as being a very decent Premier League team. Um, You know, we tried taking their manager; they're still good. They keep producing excellent players, even though they get taken. Um, and I think Gareth touched on it earlier. If um, if we were talking about the pre-head injury uh, Raul Jimenez, um, they could be doing even better, but he's not scoring as freely as he was. Um, and I think in the end, that's probably going to be what's costing them.
0: Yeah,
1: they're not going to make fourth. That's all I have to say on it. And the last club in this equation, is Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Gentlemen, I expect... A firm mixture of adult behaviour and complete and utter fealty to the cause and passion of, of, uh, of our mighty Spurs. But Gareth, let's start with the binaries here. Tell us what the stats say.
0: The stats tell me that we're not going to be consistent enough. So I've referenced that needing to go on a winning streak of four games. So that's the bare minimum that every team that's reached the top four positions in the last 10, 10, 11 seasons has gone on a streak of winning four games at some point in the season. You have to do more than that. There are teams that have done that and then still not got in the top four, but that is the bare minimum. The best we've done is that three-game streak, which was right at the start of the season. Um, And our last 15 games is just ridiculous. It's almost a WL, WL, WL. um, Well, it is. Let me read it out.
1: Win, loss, 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 win, loss. I might have missed one out, but I just wanted to sound like a computer for a moment anyway
0: <laughs> yeah there, there there was a double loss in there somewhere um, i can 't see that we 're going to string together four successive league result league wins before the end of the season I, I just can 't see it happening we 've got eleven games left, and realistically we need to win eight of those and probably get a draw to to, to make top four and all the all the statistics and the numbers and the and the results pre Conte and even after con- uh, with Conté suggest that we're just not capable of doing it. So I'm, I'm going to say that we've also been really badly hurt in those head-to-head games. We've lost to United twice. We've lost at West Ham. We've lost at Arsenal. We've we even lost once to Wolves as well. Uh, so we're actually bottom of that little five-team head-to-head league at the moment. Um, <laughs> I wish you could see this. His
1: face is creasing up. His hand is up. Milo is going to either go full adult here or it's going to be full loyalty to Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. I'm intrigued. Where
2: are we going? No, I I think the kind of four on the trot thing is nice trivia, but I don't think it actually has any bearing on whether you've got a chance of doing it or not. I mean, everyone's going to drop points. I, I talked about the kind of expected points table for the season um, earlier on if we take expected points from the 1st of November so from when Conte came in we would be fourth in the table if we'd picked up the points you'd expect so there's been a marked improvement and when you look at our form over the season and you know, Gareth talks about that kind of mini table but obviously that Arsenal performance the first Man United performance you know, um those were under Nuno when we were a, a far weaker side than we are now there is an issue with our consistency but we've had a very very heavy fixture list I think now that we don't have cup games, and I think we've got a little bit more time to prepare once we get into next month, I think we'll start seeing the benefits from that. And you know, for all the talk of you know, I think when we talked about Man United, you talked about the experience and um, you know, kind of quality of their side. But you know, given the choice, I wouldn't swap Son and Kane for any pair of any of the other teams you know teams we're talking about in contention for this. And if Son and Kane can hit form and play as they have been, you know, you know Man United game <laughs> accepting you know, over the last few weeks, then I think we've got a chance. Again, 538 have us down at, uh, was it 11%? 15. No, 15%, 15%. Yeah, that feels about right. You know, I think Arsenal are strong favourites for this, but I think we're the best of the rest. And if, we, if you know, Arsenal, Arsenal lose to Liverpool on Wednesday, they lose their games in hand against us and Chelsea, then we've got to make sure we're in best you know, in the best position to take this and, and to, to pick it up. And if they lose those games, then actually those you know those forecasts are going to be wildly different. And you'll probably find that you know the two of us will be around forty percent or something like that. So this is a, dy- a dynamic environment. They they, you know, they have got games in hand. They have got the points on the board, but that can change very quickly. James,
3: no, I mean I suppose echoing that point that under the steward, you'd, you'd want to be under the stewardship of Conte in this top four battle. I mean. You're one of the more optimistic of us all, Steph, and it is nice to slip into that. You know, we we still have a chance, but if you look at if you look at how up and down we've been over the course of this season and the trials we've had with having to, you know, replace managers, to, you know, deal with a bit of a, a clear out of quite important players in the January transfer window. It, it's been a tumultuous season this, and we're probably not good enough to be top four. You know, overall. The league table's a funny thing. I mean, for the first 10 games, it's not worth the paper it's printed mm-hmm. on. And then you get down to this last 10 games of the season and it the fixtures slip away like, you know, sand through an hourglass. And before you know it, you've got two games left and there's nothing to play for because we've lost to West Ham and Arsenal have already, you know, got it in the bag. But um yeah, 15% chance does sound about right. Unlikely, but possible. And I'll allow myself to be optimistic for another couple of weeks
1: (laughs) yeah look allow me to bring the citrus into this equation and allow me to offer what I think are some very very cogent points that uh, should give all Tottenham Hotspur supports hope if they can remain detached from the undulating uh, ups and downs of uh, social media around them I think we've got to look at the fact that These two new players we brought in are really starting to find rhythm with us. They're really starting to settle. We are seeing an establishment of the Conti pattern of football coming through. Even in defeat yesterday, we've agreed that the pattern was set and the pattern was good. And actually, if our star players had performed even 15% better, we would have won yesterday. Um, And I do think if we can get Oliver Skip back, I think our chances are actually beginning to look increasingly strong. This is going to be a psychological battle. Um, and providing Antonio Conti has managed to get into the players' heads in the right way, and I think the last couple of weeks we've seen his media reactions tempered in a way that shows he is understanding that he can't undulate as much and he can't be as up and down. Um, you know, I'm going to discard the form that we've shown, the inconsistency, and I'm going to actually back us to go on a run and I'm gonna back us to, to I'm gonna back us uh, to, to sneak in there. My you know, practically common sense tells me we are not the favourites. Yeah? But emotionally I can find justification for the fact that we will sneak in there. And until it's mathematically impossible, I'm going to believe that the second or third best manager in this division is going to be able to find a way to get this side across the line. Um but I do think it's practical as well to remember that we are finding patterns of play and his pattern of play is really establishing itself it's going to get stronger so I'm backing us to do it
3: I think you you you're in your optimism is in uh, infectious Steph and I think the fact that we've got West Ham and Arsenal still to play at home is is it's going to keep me uh, keep me on board with you in that yeah it can still be done
2: Yeah I mean your point about the new signings Steph I think is is interesting because of the yeah, taking Wolves out of the equation for for a second, we're the only one of those four clubs who actually made any signs, signings in January, and the signings are in the first team and improving the first team. So, you know, we're the only ones who strengthened. Just one other thing, you know, briefly on this, I was having a look back at the number of points needed to finish in fourth position over the last few seasons. So, last year, sixty-seven points would get you fourth. The year before that it was sixty-six. The year before that it was seventy-one. And then 17, 18, and 75, and 16, 17, and 76. I think this is probably going to be a season where it's going to be a higher one again. Um, you know, Arsenal currently are on 51. You know, with us on 45.
3: I think I reckon it's going to be about 72, 72, 73 this season.
1: Completely disagree. I think it's going to be around 66.
2: Arsenal have got 36 <laughs> points left to play for. Man United 27, West Ham 27, Wolves 27, us 33. I don't know, Steph. I think you're probably being a little bit pessimistic there with Arsenal with 50... No, they would be optimistic. I would be being optimistic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's optimism to think that Arsenal Arsenal won't make it, you see, because they'll just crash and burn, you see. That's in my world. Lots of lemons under my desk right now, boys. I think we're probably
2: looking around 70 points to to, to finish fourth.
0: Yeah, my estimate is that 70 points would be enough this year, which for, for us would involve getting another... Twenty twenty-five points from the thirty-three we've got remaining. So, I think the margins are just too tight, and we 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 tend to be playing in a lot of these um, toss of a coin games at the moment, where they could go one way or the other. We've got eleven games. We really we need to win eight of those and get one draw. I, I think it's more realistic that we win six of them, and that's that's based on fairly recent form as well. I, no, I've got I've got to say I've got I've got no particular issue with us not getting the top four this year. I think that um, it's such a long time ago that we finished in the top four um, that it's really not something that we should go into seasons expecting Um, I think we've got a better manager in place now I think the other thing just to to counter it I'm not trying to well I am being the Eeyore of of our group this evening um, but you've spoken about the importance of Conte and having Kane and Son but ultimately I think football is a weak link game and I think that we have got several weak links in the team and we will get exposed and that's why we're not consistently winning games at the moment it's because there are weak Links that that do pop up and do get exposed every now and then, and I think that's what's going to stop us getting those eight wins that we need till the rest of the season, right? Well,
1: I'm gonna uh, slowly bring this to a close. Uh, the lemons are under my desk. Um, I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping that last bit from you gets edited out, Eeyore, because it can't be finishing like that for <laughs> Pete's sake. Bloody hell. good lord above, even though you're probably practically right, but let's whisper that. Let me just say if the unspeakable, unthinkable and unmentionable doesn't happen, and we don't finish fourth. Would you rather finish eighth? Or do you want to be involved in these middling uh, European trophies that seem to do absolutely bugger all for anyone involved in them other than, uh, you know, cost them a lot of money and and injuries and and so on and so forth?
3: I'll say yes, I would rather finish eighth, but with a huge caveat, which is that there's no way Kane's going to stick around if we finish eighth. And Conte probably
2: won't stick around if we finish eighth, to be honest. I think Conte would stick around. Because I don't think he particularly cares about European football, and um, he took on a Chelsea side that weren't in Europe when he joined them, and I think that was one of the contributing factors to them winning the title. Uh, but I agree with you on Kane.
3: It's more about the it's more about the failure that
2: he'd consider an eighth place finish. I think he'd blame it on the squad, the club, and you know, what he took over. I, I think he will have factored that in when he joined. I, I think he'd be he'd welcome a clear shot at. At silverware that you know with that with less games next season
0: i i think it's a purely binary decision i would like love to have the opportunity to have next season without any European midweeks in them if, unless it's the Champions League. Um, however, and I qualify that by saying if we finish eighth this season, then that's an almighty cock-up for the rest of the season. Um, I've, I've said I'm not sure we'll get top four, but for us to finish eighth, that means we're going to be well underperforming and I, the place will be toxic if we don't get enough points to even finish sixth or seventh for the end of the season. I, I, I do think, and this is a conversation of the time, I do think Kane will stay because I don't think his, his landing spot Will exist this summer. So I think that he'll be here next year. Um, but yes, I, I can definitely see the advantages in, in not being in uh, the Europa League or the Conference League. I think it's the one variable for us to consider that we haven't had in the last couple of years.
2: I say those advantages, Gareth, are Saturday 3 pm kickoffs, aren't they?
0: Oh. Well, that <laughs> and also actually. <laughs> you bring up Harry Kane
2: and you bring up a landing place. I think that this is a very, very
1: pertinent And I'll, I'll make this the final point. Um, you know, no shitty European competitions versus being in the big one with the World Cup taking place next winter means that Harry could actually be a little more rested going into that World Cup, which would surely appeal to him and his super agent. Um, so, you know, everyone listening marvel at this. We've managed to give you this scenario where. We will, of course, finish fourth because we're Tottenham Hotspur and that's what we do. But should we finish eighth, it will be a magical and, 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 and very positive moment for the club going into next season. And it will be why Harry Kane stays and Antonio will be there and we will win the league uh, next season. So whichever way you pan it out, it's going to be all right. OK, just take a deep breath and remember Bullshit. that. <laughs> That's not very, uh, that's, a, that's not flannel. very stat,
2: uh, flannel. statty,
1: is it? That's not, Yeah, but that's not very statty, just a, a barked out of bullshit. No, I'll it?
2: give you some stats, Steph. That was 100% <laughs> bullshit.
1: No, but you know what? It will prove not to be, will it, won't it? You'll see. You'll see. You'll see. Don't listen to him. Take a deep breath. Get your citrus out. Squeeze some lemons, as Robert Plant once sang. And let's now talk about Brighton before I bring us any further off track. Thanks, incidentally, for that conversation about the top four. It's really, really hard to discuss that in a rational way, I know. And for some of us, anyway, we're going to need to shower quite heavily as soon as we finish recording for some of the things we admitted. But yes, let's talk about Wednesday. Uh, We travelled down to the south coast to play Brighton. They're always a tough opponent. Potter is, of course, someone I think we've all expressed great admiration for. It's not been a happy stamping ground for us uh, these last few years. Um, I, you know, I think the team picks itself. I'm just not even going to ask that question. The first eleven picks itself. Are you confident? Simple question. Go to your, go to your fruit basket. Dig deep. Tell me what you feel,
2: Milo Potter. Will have observed what we struggle with. He will set Brighton up to frustrate us. I think it's going to be a tough game, but I'm going to take a little bit of um. Uh, optimism from our FA Cup game against them in January or February anyway earlier in the year when we managed to get through that and, and and get the win so I think the top four challenge is still on after Wednesday night and yeah we'll get what we need what is that they're on we'll a terrible get what run we need. Brighton
1: we... <laughs> come on James. Bright- Brighton Let's are on a run him. of
3: five losses in a row Five five losses in a row, Brighton. It's not it's not an easy place to go, but they are in that mid-table obscurity.
1: Oh, it's getting messy, we need to boys.
3: we need to bounce back, and our consistent inconsistent form <laughs> suggests we probably will bounce back. But this needs to be a run of um, three wins in a row for us with the the next three fixtures we've got, and it's
1: it's doable. Yes or no? Win or not? Yes. Okay, yes. so that's two in the win column. Milo and you, Gareth, Brighton. Are you confident? Win or not?
0: Yeah, I'm going to surprise you and say I think we're going to go down there with a bit of swagger and we'll, we'll win by a couple of goals as long as we score in the first 20 minutes. Just to let Brighton's run a fall. Do you know, since the 19th of September, they've only won three league matches who are against Brentford, Everton and Watford. So three of the bottom four or three of the bottom five are the only teams they've beaten since September. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've got to go there. and we've, we've got to win this one and we will if we score in the first 20 minutes.
1: Statistically speaking, as I often like to do, as you all know, I think it's a win simply because it was a loss uh, last time. and We've been win-lose, win-lose, win-lose. And I think this is the beginning of our glorious win streak as we marched fourth. So optimism tells me that we will win. Um, realism tells me it's going to be super tough. And uh, frankly, only a complete fucking idiot would call this game confidently as a huge win like I have just done. If the shoe fits right, lads... Not for you, Gareth. I'm enjoying hearing your optimism. I'm talking about myself, Um, but uh, uh, you know, look, come on. West Ham, next Sunday we host the Happy Hammers. Who writes this? Oh, yeah, I, I kind of helped write it. I, I don't think I wrote that. That's you, isn't it, Milo? Happy Hammers. Next mm. next Sunday we host those horrible bastards from East London at White Hart Lane um, in a move that must have been welcomed by local glaziers but no one else. Sky have decided to move the fixture to 4.30 p.m. That's quality coffee there, Milo. I like that. And for anyone who hasn't <laughs> deciphered that, mm-hmm. that means that the fans will be lugged up, and uh, that there'll possibly be some things tossed around uh, in in joy and hubris, uh, shall we say? But uh, yes, it doesn't. They it, are it, a bunch of tossers, aren't they? They are a bunch of tossers. Absolutely right. It's going to be feisty. It's going to be lively. I um again, who should we play? I think you know. I, I think it, the team picks itself at this point. You know, we're getting to this question again. Are we confident? I mean, can any of us honestly answer this with honesty? I mean, is there any other reaction to this than we're going to win? Because
0: anything else is unthinkable, right?
3: I'm confident Antonio will score. He always does.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm hoping he's not fit, to be honest.
0: For me, West Ham is always the banter game of the season. Just crazy things happen when Spurs play West Ham and it seems that the team that most needs the win for whatever reason um, gets their nose bloodied in, in some form or another. The best thing that can happen, of course, is that West Ham go to extra time against Seville on Thursday night and are absolutely shattered going mm. into that game against us on Sunday. We will have had a 24-hour um, head start on them for that one. Um Yeah, it's such a cliche because it's a derby, but the West Ham game, I think it's the hardest one to predict every season. You you never know what's going to happen in those games with them, and I'd be loath to give any sort of accurate projection of of what's going to happen.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we're the better side on paper, but they've again, they've got some standout players and they've got some players who tend to turn up against us. We need to win this, you know. If yeah, if, we, if we beat them, it takes them out of the race for the top four, I think. It completely finishes any chance of that. And we can't afford to be dropping points. It's a home game. We need to win it.
1: I think it's going to be a case of syncopation, automation, we'll win, we'll win. That's where I'm leaving it. <laughs> We're going to win. We're going to win, if only because my lemons and oranges and God knows what else won't allow me to consider anything else. We'll be back next week to discuss these games against Brighton and uh, and West Ham, and uh, we'll see if Citrus really is king. Uh, thanks very much, chaps. Much appreciated.
2: Cheers, Steph. Cheers, Steph.
1: You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, so give us a follow, say hello. And if you've enjoyed this pod, or indeed any of our pods, please tell your pals and leave a glowing review on iTunes and Spotify. As always, thanks for joining us. I turn 55 the day before Brighton. And uh, right after the Brighton game, I'm joining James on his yacht. We're going to drink rum in the the tropical uh, climes of wherever his yacht's going. And going to dream big, as you should too. (laughs) Have a good one. See you next week.